This podcast is produced by Clarence Valley Community Church. If you benefit from our ministry and you would like to support us, details can be found at our website, cvcc.com.au. There you can also find out more details about our church. I felt like God really prepared me for this sermon this morning, actually. Last week, I spoke about having an optimistic faith. Um, If you weren't here, I'll do a bit of a recap, but before I do, uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can be here together as one family to worship you. Lord, we thank you that it's because of you and your son that we have come here. You have gathered all nations into the buildings, into the places of worship to give your great name, Lord, the praise that it deserves. And Lord, I pray that you would help me to show today how much we have in you, how solidly we stand upon the rock because we have you, Jesus, as our Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the way I feel I was blessed for this service today was I woke up um, probably at about four o'clock this morning and I was incredibly flat, like flatline, like one of those moments where it's like, Lord, you know, I just can't feel you as much. Like, I, I, nothing's happened with my faith, you know. I'm, I still love Jesus. My, my faith is good, but I just feel really dried up, really hollow this morning. And then I'm like, Lord, please, I have to go and speak to people about optimistic faith, like about being healthy and strong in the Lord. And I don't want to stand up here saying something that I'm not actually really with, if you know what I mean. Like, it's a struggle. And so, what did I do? Has anybody got any ideas? You're allowed to answer. Any ideas what you think I might have done when I woke up feeling dry and flat? Went back to sleep. No, I didn't go back to sleep. That that would have caused anxiety, because then I would have got up late, and I'm like, all right, now now I'm done. Yeah, sorry? That's exactly what I did. Yeah, I prayed. I prayed. I I just walked around for a bit and I'm like, Lord, this has to come from you. Like, I don't want to come in here and and just pump myself up and give you some self-help advice like, God, it has to be your power because if it's not, then what good is it? Like, I will just leave this place and, and go back to normal. And we've all done that at times. Maybe we felt excited and jubilant about something and then Lo and behold, time passes and and that thing sort of fades away and then you're flat again. And so I thank the Lord that he met with me. And I wanted to actually talk about, and this is sort of funny, I wanted to talk about not only having an optimistic faith that we we talked about last week, but how to stay in in the mindset of an optimistic faith, having the heart of an optimistic faith. And there's some real blind spots that I want to, tell us today that even the disciples had, and I believe the Word of God has placed that in there for us just to sort of look over. Like, I don't think Jesus said more of this than to anybody else of his own, of his own disciples when he says, you of little faith. And we covered one of those last week. We remember when there was a massive storm on the water and Jesus is up sleeping in the bow. The storms are crashing, the lightning's going for it, the waves are high, and the disciples run in and they're shaking Jesus. Jesus, how can you sleep? We're going to die. And what did Jesus say? 
you of little faith. Because we saw just earlier when we were talking last week about this centurion that had this bubbling over faith that just knew Jesus could do the impossible, heal his servant, and he respected and honored Jesus. He saw who he was. And, and for that, Jesus is like, I've never seen such great faith. Even in all of Israel, I've never seen faith like this. This guy's a Roman. Not only a Roman, he's a soldier. He's an oppressor. But still, Jesus acknowledges the man's faith. And so imagine a king's child. This could be us sometimes. We're frantically running around the palace, running around the king's streets, crying out, I'm poor, I'm an orphan in your father's kingdom. Woe is me, woe is me. And while you're running around in this state, concerned and scared and feeling so jaded and lost, you've got the whole might of the king's army following you around everywhere you go. You've got all the servants of the king following you around, watching your every step, watching your every movement, every dark alley you go down. And I want to I say this seriously. Every dark alley you go down, is that when God closes his eyes? Every storm in your life, is that when God blinks or misses a beat? Or is he still there? Are you still the king's child? We've even seen this, I think, in our, in our own lives. Maybe if you, you've ever switched on the TV and you see some royal or some powerful person and they're like, oh, woe is me, I lost a million dollars on the stock market. And I don't know if you get that same feeling I do. I'm like, yeah, so what? Like you got, you probably got 50 more of those millions than you are. You know, you're going to use money to cry yourself to sleep that night. Like, don't give me that. Like, yeah, you've got money I can't even afford to lose. Um, or maybe, you know, oh, one of my houses has burnt down. And so they'll go to the Alps to get over there, you know, in their, in their little cottage and get over their woe. And, and it's sort of like, if you really want to think about it, we're Christians. We have a God who loves us. And yet we can fall into that same trap. We can have this despair and this cloud hanging over us. And really we've got to ask, does it need to be this way? Because not only do we want to have an optimistic faith, not only do we want to walk around and say, yeah, look, I am the king's son or daughter. I know that intellectually, but I want to feel that, if you know what I mean. And that's what I'd like to talk about today. Here's a couple of other examples, maybe three other examples of the disciples where Jesus said, you of little faith. Just to, just to set the scene of these men, and I like that it's the disciples as well. He's not talking about like, you know, you person out on the street who doesn't even know God. No, Jesus is talking to those who knew him best. You know what I mean? And who, who can that reflect on? That could be me at times. That could be you. So we got from Matthew 14, and it goes from 22 to 36. You remember how... Jesus calls Peter out onto the water. You know, step out onto the water and this incredible miracle, the impossible happens again, where Peter actually begins to walk on the water with Jesus. Not only can Jesus powerfully command the storms to stop, but he can break all the natural rules and even go as far as to walk on water. And what did we learn from that story? If you remember it from Sunday school, you remember if you've read it recently, Peter takes his eyes off of Christ, looks at the waves, which is quite a natural, normal thing to do. 
We've all done this in our walk with Christ. If you've been around for five minutes, we've done this. You've looked away and he begins to sink. And Jesus says, you of little faith. Why? Because he took his eyes of Christ. Now, another one from Matthew 16, verses 5 to 12. Jesus warns his disciples about the yeast of the Pharisees. He says, you know, if you hang out with the wrong religious group, if you have people that, and it doesn't even have to be religious, these people could just be poisoning the waterhole, the, the heart that God has set in you, these people that you're hanging around or that you're listening to or letting into your life, they are going to poison the well. It is going to do you harm. And he says, be careful of the yeast of these Pharisees and these Sadducees, because just like yeast and a bit of bread, what does it do? You just mix a tiny bit in, and what happens? The whole bread expands. It goes through the whole lump, and then as it cooks, it expands, and it goes throughout. We don't want that in our life. We want to maintain our holiness. We want to maintain our right understanding of God and not be corrupted. Now, the disciples said, Jesus is talking about bread. And yeast, he must be hungry. Jesus loses it at this point. You of little faith. I'm talking about spiritual things. Like that is a warning to us. Stay away from bad religion, false religion. It will destroy you. It will bring you ruin and harm. Yet all they can think about is here on the earthly and lastly, I wanted to give this as our example from Matthew 17, starting from verse 14. We have this poor man wanting a demon to be cast out of his son. And the disciples are trying to cast out this demon, and it would not come. And when Jesus comes into this scene, the disciples have given up. The man is like, well, Jesus, if you can do it, could you help? You know, sort of like if. And Jesus takes, takes uh, I guess, pains with that. He's like, if I can do it, can't you just believe? And he says it again, you of little faith. Now, remember everything I've said up until this point. It's not faith in here, it's not me getting up here this morning and having enough charisma and I've pumped myself up enough so that I can have what looks like faith, but every time it's been, look to Jesus, see what he's saying, hear what he's saying, stop taking this at an earthly level, see me for who I am. That's how we have optimistic faith. God can do the impossible. God can change my situation. But are we looking to Christ? I'll give another example. And also with that one in Matthew 17, when they're talking about this demon being cast out, and Jesus says, again, you have little faith. I want to just stress, this was after Peter confessed that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. So you see, he knew. He had faith. He knew Jesus Jesus affirmed him on that. But also, Peter, John, and James went to the Mount of Transfiguration just before this event as well. And they've seen the Shekinah. They've seen the glory of Christ. And yet Jesus can say moments later, you of little faith. Why? 
We might know who Jesus is. We might intellectually know who Jesus is, but do we know what it means to know Jesus? I might give it an example like this. There are some people, they can stand in a skyscraper that has been there for over 80 years. And though they know the thing is safe, they are terrified because they're too high off the ground. Maybe another one is this. Everyone here, I assume, who has a car trusts the brake, brakes in the car. We, we sometimes hop in the car, we don't even think about how much fluids and how much is in the brake fluid or are the, are the brakes worn or not. We just jump in and we go. But there are some people that cannot, they cannot get that out of their mind that this is really, really unsafe. And I want to be honest, with the skyscraper, with your brakes, nothing here in this life is guaranteed. Yep, brakes can fail, buildings can fall. But we're not talking about that when we're talking about Christ. Does God's love ever fail for you? Like I said before, does he ever blink? Does he miss a beat in your life? Or is he ever present watching over his children? Even in your darkest hour, do we see that God is there with you in the midst of that turmoil? See, now we're starting to get to optimistic faith. Maybe we're starting to understand where the disciples were coming from as well. Yes, Jesus, I know, metaphorically the skyscraper, I know you're powerful. I know you're steadfast. You're not going to let me down. You're not going to fall. But I'm terrified. I'm still scared. I'm still looking at this from an earthly way, an earthly manner. Do we see that God overshadows us with his very hand? Everything in our life, none of it is, as it were, an accident. But he loves you and he's with you. But before I go too far this way, before I go too far by saying, look, guys, we just need to not make the same mistakes as the disciples. Let's keep our focus on Jesus. Before I go too far down that way, I want to say there are seasons for Christians where we do struggle. I don't want to, I would, I would be lying to get up here and say that there have not been hard seasons. And I want to read that for us from James 5, verse 13. It says, Any, uh, is anyone among you in trouble? Christians get in trouble. We have troubled days. His advice is, let them pray. And is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. So there's a difference between the mood and the situation you're in. Okay. I also want us to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14, just to balance this out, because I'd hate to talk in extremes, and then you're saying, well, Dan, that doesn't actually fit my reality today. I am struggling. I want this optimistic faith, but it's been a rough week, month, or year. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14 says, And we urge you, brothers and sisters, Warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. So we're going to be disheartened as Christian, Christians. We're going to be weak as Christians. And there's people we're probably going to need to be patient with. Now, should that downward spiral mark the life of a Christian? I think not. 
I think we're given clear promises in Scripture where we can have an optimistic faith, but we can have bad seasons. As Paul would say, a Christian is marked by the fruit of the Spirit. In our lives, we're marked with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These should be things that just overflow from us when we see Jesus for who he is, when we have a faith that is optimistic. Not just I see it and I should know it, but I understand the reality of having Christ with me everywhere I go. We don't want to be like a child who gets a new toy. This is my first bit of advice for us today, to hold on to an optimistic faith. We do not want to be like a child who gets a new toy, you've found Christ, you've, you've, you've stepped into a church, or you've been a Christian for a few years, and like a child with a toy, it begins to get old. If they're like my children, it happens a lot quicker than a couple of years. That Christmas present's like done in a week, and here I am going, oh, it's, anyway, spend some money on that one, but... We don't want to do that in our faith toward God. We've just had this big explosion of emotion. We've had this wonderful time. We've seen Christ for what we thought was clearly for a moment. And then like a child, we jump onto the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And Jesus for you was only ever a fad. He wasn't someone you were going to commit your life to. But how is that different, Dan? What's different about committing your life or having Jesus as a fad? Well, we remember as Christians, are we called to a one-off experience? Are we called to a season of enjoying Christ? Or is this a journey? You know, I've I've heard this said to me time and time again, it's not the destination, which is what some people like to do with their faith. I've reached the destination. What do they say? It's actually the journey that keeps us going. It's the prize that awaits at the end of that journey. And we don't get the prize in this life. So pace yourself, brother and sister. Don't let yourself get riled up too much. Treating Jesus cheaply. And then shrug your shoulders months or years later as you're off onto the next fad. You are on a committed journey with a committed God. He committed himself to you. And so we do the same. We get on with the journey. That's the first step in having and walking out an optimistic faith. Lord, I'm here for the long haul. Whatever, whatever it looks like, wherever you take me, like that king's child, I'm going to keep running, but I'm going to remember that you're, you're with me everywhere I go. We we saw this last week, actually, in Matthew 8, verse 20. I'll I'll read it for us. Remember Jesus said when the man came up and said, Oh, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. Wherever you go, Jesus, I'll follow you. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Don't get comfortable. Following me may mean that your pillow at home is not always guaranteed at the end of the day. Jesus is going to take you places. And if your place is here for now, 
in the back of your mind, be ready to go. Lord, at a word, I am ready to serve you. I'm ready to change careers. I'm ready to change countries. I'm ready to change my attitude. Whatever you want, Lord, I'm ready. I'm not comfortable enough to sit here and stay. That's a journeyman, isn't it? Even when you're waiting, I've heard this in the military, it's hurry up and wait, hurry up and wait. They're like actively waiting in the military. Even sitting there is a responsibility that they've got to do right. And so Jesus gave that to the, to the disciples and it was said in their hearing before he tells them about their lack of faith. The other one is this. So you're on a journey but what can happen on a journey is you forget the fact that we must be as Christians denying ourselves, dying daily, taking up our cross. I found a psalm that maybe fits appropriately with this, Psalm 121, verse 1 and 2. I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Try and get him down. Does that sound like optimistic faith to you? Does that sound like someone who's ready to walk into the battles of life and be like, God, not me, but you I rely on. You are where my help comes from. And the reason I talk to you first about knowing that it's a journey, but on that journey, what can happen? We can get lazy we can stop denying ourselves. We can stop dying daily and we stop bearing our cross. What's happening to the word? What did Jesus say the world might do to the word that's in us if we don't watch out for this? He said like weeds. You imagine a rose bush, the thorns on a rose bush. And Jesus says that these weeds are going to come up around the word that he's just said. And it's going to choke it alive. There's going to be nothing left for you because your heart has been inching closer and closer into the world. And then you're scratching your head wondering why I don't have an optimistic faith anymore. I've lost the zeal. I've lost the fire. But it's because you've, you've put your foot back into the world. You've taken joy from the world. You've, you've said, yes, I still have Jesus. I still have him as my love. But this also... And so when we, when we have this tension in us, we tend to get very dull. The word becomes dull. And so they're the, they're the first ports of call that I would go if I was ever to speak to someone where they're feeling real low. It's like, you realize this is a journey. It wasn't a one-off decision. Yes, Daniel, I know that. You realize that you have to be seeking and following the Lord. Don't get too wrapped up in the things of this world. It's only going to bring grief for you. It's only going to bring more and more drama. Like Satan never gets sick of feeding you the next thing and the next thing and the next thing as long as you are not just abiding in Christ. He loves that. He'll continue to do that. He'll feed that sense in you that wants that. But as for us, our help comes from the Lord. Our focus is upon our walk and our relationship with him. But if you say to me, Dan, those are not the problems. I'm actually, I know I'm on a long journey. I'm having a tough time of it. Dan, I am, I am walking with the Lord, but I'm struggling and I'm suffering. 
I just want to take us to Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13, verse 15 and 19. And again, I'm answering the question, how to have an optimistic faith. Not a one-off, but how to have an optimistic faith. We do not want to fall into the trap of the disciples. Remember I said, disciples, that's us. We can fall into this stuff. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15 to 19 says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased." Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as, though you must, as, the, uh, as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. Now, this is a bit of a mouthful, and I'm going to quickly just go over this before we, before we close up today. What is he saying? Christian, your life should be marked with thanksgiving. I hope we're doing this. I hope we see not only the world around us and the beauty that God's created. Yes, Satan's having his way. Yes, this world has all its issues, but the creation element, the parts of it that are good are godly. Are we thankful for the things that we have? Are we thankful for the life that he's given us? And most assuredly, are we thankful for Christ who is with us just as he was with the disciples? Are we thankful? This is a sacrifice to God pleasing to him to live a life of gratitude also in verse 16 he says don't live a life inward you want the word to be choked up quick you want to realize and feel that God is millions of miles away and you you just realize that it's probably because maybe you've been doing a lot of introspection you've not been living an outward life What, what sort of life did Christ live outward for others and he calls us to live outward lives for others The moment we dwell inwards and worry about my needs, my way, my stipulations is the moment that we begin to choke up or dry up the good deposit that God has in us. Now we see here, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority. Now I'm going to harp on about submitting to the authority of your leaders. What I think the main position and point that Paul is making here is he's saying the word of God. Like, not everybody had Bibles back in the day when this was written. Not everybody had access like we do today to the word of God. So who would be the people that would have to bring you the knowledge of God so that you can continue to grow in your faith? It was your leaders, your church leaders. But what good are you going to do yourself if you're always a burden on them? What's their job? To preach the word. Don't give them a hard time, because then that will happen less. And also he ends on, and it's what um, was said here before by Scott, pray, pray, pray. 
These are the things that we can do to keep ourselves in that optimistic frame of mind, that optimistic heart, not just having a sense of Christ's presence in our life, but dwelling richly in the presence of him. And these are the last two examples I want to give. I tried to find examples from the Old Testament to bring this stuff out and bring it to light a bit more. We had the prophet Daniel. Now, when the king said, you must, you must worship me and worship me alone, no other gods. Now, Daniel was a busy man. He's running this country. Yet, three times a day, he would find to stop all his work. No, CEOs will tell you never to do this. Stopped all his work, and he went to the same place he always went to at, at, at his window, and he prayed to God. Why did he pray to his window? Because he's facing Jerusalem. Why is he facing Jerusalem? Because he's a slave. He's been taken by the Babylonians and he's looking back. He has hope. I think it's about 900 kilometers away and he faces the temple because he still had hope. Though he never, he's never going to get back there. But in a sense, he got back there. He's with the God that he loved. But three times a day, he would pray. And he was uncompromising in that. Even at the threat of his own life, he was uncompromising. Do you think that was a man who had trust, had an optimistic faith, wouldn't compromise, was strong, even though he is hundreds and hundreds of miles away from where the presence of God was meant to be? He was still standing strong. But then lastly, I wanted to give the example of Samson. This is maybe someone who can rile themselves up. They had the power of God, seemingly, but their heart was completely corrupted. They were in the wrong frame of mind, and he was self-seeking, self-pleasing, unlike Daniel. Now, if we know the story, his sin caught up with him. The Philistines captured him. And what did the Philistines take from him? They took his eyes. And if you follow the story, when they took his eyes, that was the first time in his life where he actually saw. What were the last moments of his life? Instead of being self-seeking, instead of looking out for number one, doing what he pleased, even though God was working seemingly powerfully through him, even though God was working powerfully through the disciples, Jesus could still say, you of little faith, but there's Samson at the end of his life, and he says, God, give me this one more opportunity. And what's he about to do? He's about to let his own life go. He's about to die in order to save Israel by crushing the pillars of the temple, pushing the pillars apart, and the whole roof falls down on all the generals, the king, and all the enemies of Israel. They're having a party at the one place at the one time. So he's gone from being selfish to, Lord, I deserve nothing from you. He, he, he came into that optimistic faith, but what had to happen first? He had to lose his eyes to see with faith really what was going on, that God loved his people, that he was meant to defend and protect his people, and he did what he was supposed to do. But I pray for us here, God doesn't have to lead you down that road, but that you can come into a revived state you can be thankful. You can live an outward-focused life for others. You can be prayerful and listen to the Word of God. Submit to the Word of God. And then you won't only 
know of an optimistic faith, but you'll have an optimistic faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for giving us this time. Lord, I pray that you would please, Lord, lift all of us up into this. Father, it is so easy to get caught up with the the wiles of this life. It is so easy to become distracted or have the word choked out from under us, Lord, because our focus isn't right. Our heart is not right. And this can happen to disciples. This can happen to Samson. And so, God, we just ask that today you would bless this word in our heart. We would meditate on it throughout the week. And that, Father, we will come back again next week refreshed and ready to worship you again. In Jesus' name, amen.